Traveling the Vortex We've joined the doctor as he travels the vortex and keep the cat away from the console where I arrive in episode 578. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. You guys do anything or watch anything in the interim here? Well, we got up to Infinity War on our uh, Marvel rewatch, but we had to break it into two parts because, well, tonight's a school night. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> You've just been watching Marvel films? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I snuck in a couple of oldies this weekend. Okay, so this was a fun story. So, uh, Mel had parties this weekend, and it shows Sai and I were were together, and it was too cold to really do anything. And uh, it, inevitably, in one of these situations, I always try and tell myself, we're not going to sit down in front of the TV. You know, I will find something <laughs> for us to do. We're going to do arts and crafts or play games or something. And she says, can we watch a movie? It's like, yeah, okay. So we wound up in front of the TV. And she says, I'm going to watch Teen Titans. I was like, ah, but you've seen Teen Titans. I know you like it, and I don't mind it. It's a good one, but can we just watch something new? So we finally agreed that I would just kind of scroll and see if anything caught her eye. So I'm going down our list and just, you know, boom, 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 boom. And... Landed on Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, <laughs> which has the the two ladies riding a shrimp, and she goes, "Ooh, that one!" It's like, really? This one? I I haven't seen this. I don't know what it's about. Well, can I watch it? So I did a little bit of quick research, and it's a PG thirteen. But I was like, "Well, it doesn't look horrible. I guess we can start it and kind of see where we're at." I really knew nothing about this other than Kristen Wiggs in it. It is essentially two women of a certain age who go on vacation together to Florida and wind up having a whole series of misadventures, including new loves and doing all of those crazy things you do on vacation, like riding the inflatable banana. And that's not a euphemism. There's literally an inflatable man <laughs> in the ocean. They get dragged behind on a speedboat. Mm -hmm. And a supervillain who wants to destroy the town. <laughs> it's a Saturday Night Live comedy. So think, you know, Coneheads, Ladies Man. Think that level of, of humor. <laughs> okay. But it's essentially how Stella got her groove back if it had the design aesthetic from Barbie with the mentality level of an earnest movie. <laughs> I can't decide if this is the greatest thing ever <laughs> or some sort of abhorrent nightmarish, you know, just, wow. I, I'm still in this befuddled, I don't know what to think about this film. I loved it. <laughs> just, we, I mean, we both laughed and, you know, just she was ripping. I was like, okay, well, well, I guess we'll call that a win. And then we got up, did a little bit, and just decided, no, it's too cold to leave the couch. So we bundled back up and I was like, okay, what now? She says, we'll keep going. So I scrolled down, you know, the list. Next thing that catches her eye, bus stop. 
bus stop? I've never even heard of that one. Yeah, 1950-something Marilyn Monroe. Oh. Oh. Huh. And I went, really? This one? 1956. Yeah. She says, can, I, can we watch this one? I'm like, well, same deal. Let's give it, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and we'll kind of see how it goes. It's in black and white. I'm thinking to myself, we're not even going to make 15 minutes. Okay? She's riveted. Now, admittedly, Marilyn Monroe in a saloon gal outfit, I was riveted too. <laughs> but the, 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 have you guys ever seen this one? Nope. Glenn, you? No, I've seen oh, this, okay. I've seen the stage play, so I know what it's about. But I did. I've never seen the Marilyn uh, Monroe version. Okay, so Bo the cowboy comes from Montana down to mm-hmm. Phoenix to be in the rodeo. Uh, he sees Marilyn, falls head over heels in love, and just decides, I'm going to take you back to the ranch and marry you. Grabs her by the arm, throws her on the bus. He literally kidnaps mm-hmm. this woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the rest of the movie is her trying to escape him mm-hmm. while still kind of sort of going, well, you are kind of cute. <laughs> wow the mixed messages from this that i had to then have conversations with shy about because it was right off the bat doesn't age well. not being very nice is he <laughs> oh he's kind of a jerk isn't he oh he's and then they get to the one and he i mean he's physically manhandling her and throwing her around and i'm like okay let's um uh, Papa, we, we're gonna have a little talk at this point and shy's like can we just watch the movie i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like it's my duty at this point to throw in the, the parental advisory and say, don't you ever let anybody handle you this way. <laughs> you don't let them talk to you this way. You don't just know this is abusive and you run from these people. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, uh, so yeah, I cannot recommend that one. Not a very good movie, but, um, it was an, I mean, you know, the movie fanatic in me is thrilled that not only did she pick, something other than teen titans but that she liked something other than teen titans yeah so that, that's, that's that's a huge win but uh yeah problematic movie <laughs> <laughs> would not have thought that for 1956 well, in, in 1956 it probably wasn't well you know different time only goes so far <laughs> <laughs> You, you can't sugarcoat kidnapping. Mm-hmm. It's just kind no, of there. true. <laughs> Keith, did you watch your reading? Anything? I watched Echo. Mm. Not once it? did anyone repeat themselves. We've been... <laughs> I feel lied to. <laughs> I was it? I enjoyed it. It was pretty good. It kind of ends kind of with a whimper. I mean, mm. it has a, a, a nice spectacular ending, but it didn't feel like it really resolved much <laughs> other than kind of finishing off some of the story that the show itself set up but overall for like the character it doesn't really like it kind of advances her but not really but it's really well done and feels more like the netflix marvel shows than the other shows have so far so it's mm. got that going for it well that's good only it was definitely worth the five episodes to watch, and the last couple of them are really short, like mm. less than 40 minutes long. Oh, wow. So hmm. I appreciated that it was not drawn out, yet there was still a filler episode in the middle of it. I don't don't know how they managed that. Glenn, did you watch anything? Oh, I got a few movies in. Um, 
I watched uh, Self-Reliance, which I think is directed by and starring Jake Johnson. And okay. it's about a guy who's offered a billion dollars to play a game. And there are hunters that are trying to kill him. And he has to go, what is it, 10 days or a week? I can't remember exactly how long. But he thinks he's got a loophole because they tell him as long as he's with somebody, the hunters can't attack him. And so he's spends most of the film trying to keep he hires a bum <laughs> to, to stay with him uh, Anna Kendrick's in it he ends up meeting up with her she's supposedly playing the game too they meet on like reddit or whatever and um at times you wonder if the game is real and at times you it you're pretty sure the game is real but it has kind of a interesting ending that I can't uh, divulge without ruining things but uh, then I watched The Family Plan, which was uh, that Mark Wahlberg uh, film where he's a, <laughs> he's a former assassin that gave up the uh, business and met a woman and got married. And they've been married for like 20 years. And then apparently he's been hiding out and the uh, they've the people that are hunting him found, find him. And so he has to take his he has to take his family on the run. But he. Reluctantly, doesn't he doesn't tell them he doesn't let them know until much later in the movie what's happening. So that you spend a good chunk of the movie of him trying to avoid these people that are trying to kill him, and he's putting his family in danger, and they don't know they're in danger, kind of things. And it's not a great movie. It's kind of just middle of the road. <laughs> it, it, I, I didn't. I didn't hate the fact that I spent the time watching it, but it's not something I would ever watch again. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I finally got around to watching it. Um, I'm with Sean. It's it's a good movie. It's just not what you wanted out of you know the last outing for Indy, but uh, it's a good movie. It's 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 an enjoyable plot, and I think it it's got a nice little heartfelt ending. I think. And then mm -hmm. I watched Missing Impossible: uh, Dead Reckoning Part One, which was really good. I really enjoyed that. We are going on a journey, a very long journey, through the world of the Target novelizations in publication order. Every week, we are looking at a new book, talking about Terrace Dix, Malcolm Hulk, and all our Doctor Who novelization friends. Whatever you do, keep turning the pages. This is Jason Miller of the Doctor Who Literature Podcast, a member of the Direction Point Podcast Network, and you are listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Podcast. This is Tim Trelaw. This is David J. Howe. I'm Peter Purvis. I am Sadie Miller. This is Lauren Cornelius. Larry, it's Fraser. For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world and beyond, the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. I'm Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I've been collecting for 42 years. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex on the Direction Point Podcast Network. Well, let's move on to news. Well, Variety is reporting that Millie Gibson's leaving the show after her first season, and that Verada Sethu will be joining as companion in Shooty's second season. And uh, apologies if we did not say Miss Sethu's name correctly, but... 
Yep. We're not sure. <laughs> I could not find a good pronunciator. I'm sure people in the UK that have seen her before probably are familiar. Well, I've seen her in stuff. I've just not seen her name pronounced because mm. she mm. was in Andor. And oh, she, she was in Andor, in yeah. Jurassic World Dominion. So I've seen her as an actress, and she's a great actress. I just don't <laughs> – kind of like Shooty until – you, we get a pronunciation of the name. We don't mm, really right, <laughs> always right. know how to pronounce some of them. I think the thing that's bothering me about this news is, number one, it kind of stinks that it came out because the season hasn't even started and we're already getting news that, you know, Millie's not around for season 15 or season two. Um, and so I think that's kind of... <laughs> you remember about a year and a half ago when nothing was coming out about the Chibnall <laughs> specials. And I was saying, well, at least all this stuff's coming out about, uh, RTD stuff. Now I kind of wish the RTD stuff would be a little kept a little more under wrap because, and, and maybe it's hard to do when you're shooting this far ahead, um, because they're already shooting series 15 or uh, season 15. So, but I think it's, it's kind of crappy that the BBC staying mum on this, everybody's speculating that they dropped Millie Gibson, which I don't think is the case. I think, she no. probably signed on for one season or Russell had a plan and maybe she does return periodically throughout the, that next season or she pulls a rose or she just said, you know, I, I have another gig, but I'll do this season and move on to my next project. I mean, she's 19 years old. She's got a lot of, a lot of projects that's you know, ahead of her. So I, I just think it's kind of unfair that people are jumping on the, Oh, and, and, and as we talked, before the show and Keith you pointed out it's just clickbait it's it's a way to get people to click on people's articles or YouTube videos or yeah headlines yeah. but I'm kind of I'm not bummed that, I mean I'm a little bummed that she's not she we don't get her for more than one season because I think that's kind of that's kind of sad because I think she hit the ground running in the in the the uh, Christmas special I really really enjoyed her and I think her and Shooty's um um chemistry and energy are really, really good together. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I did read another article, I think it was Screen Rant wrote, and they talked about how she's going to, she has the potential for becoming a Bill Potts or a Martha Jones or a, um, oh, they had another example. Donna Noble until Donna, well, uh, specials. Donna Noble sort of a, <laughs> And I agree with them. Oh, they, oh they, you mean she? You mean they're uh, just Verata. kind of they're, uh, who? You mean the new companion? No, no, uh, Millie. They, they're oh, saying okay. that Millie's going to become that companion that everybody forgets. When you oh. when you get in, you know, everybody remembers Rose Tyler. Everybody remembers Amy Pond. Everybody remembers Clara Oswald. The reason being is because they were on for several se uh, seasons. They you know established themselves because of the length of their, their run and people remember them. I mean, it's not like we've completely forgotten about Bill Potts, but she's not the first companion that comes to mind necessarily in the last, you know, 15 years. So, and I, I think that they, their point was that Millie has the potential of being that. And when you're coming out of the gate with a new doctor, you kind of want that dynamic to last maybe a little longer than one season. And I kind of agree with them, but. Yeah, I can see that argument, especially since the season's also shorter, too. Mm -hmm. We're going to almost have a Dan situation where we get, you know, barely get to Dan, know him. And then Dan was gone. the other one. See, I've already forgotten Dan. <laughs> Dan was the other that was the other one they used, the other example they used. Oh, yeah, Dan. <laughs> well, but, uh, and 
I, I guess I wasn't too surprised because I don't know if I really expected her, her to stick around super long. And Russell T. Davis in his first run, you know, Donna was around for a season. Martha was around for a season. Uh, it seemed like every season there was some a new character coming on board, whether it be the Doctor. I know that was out of his control. Or Companion. It was just every season it was, okay, Some somebody new is joining the TARDIS. So... I don't know if I just necessarily expected that, but I'm not surprised that that might be happening again. I have one word for y'all. Spoilers. You know something we don't? No, I wish they'd stop spoiling stuff. Oh! I thought you were saying you had some information, but you couldn't give it yeah, to Yeah, the way, the way you said that. <laughs> No, I, I feel like we're, we've reverted back to the old days where I was the one complaining about every leaked mm. bit of information going, I didn't want to know this. <laughs> and then we kind of reached an equilibrium point where it just was what it was. And now the show is so far into production, so far in the future that it's like, I, what do you mean he's already finished shooting? Oh, okay. Oh, we're going to find out who the next doctor is next week? Oh, well, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it does it, seem it, a little ridiculous that we're finding out stuff about the next season when the next this the season <laughs> the after next season when the next season aired. yeah yeah but when you're producing it that far in advance then mm-hmm. things are gonna leak and we don't also don't know the context of how she's coming on board or if it's true or if she's just gonna be a guest star i mean as far as we don't know what the source is saying that she's going to be a companion. Yeah, very true. Well, I I, I think her. Yeah, well, maybe not. I was going to say I think her. Um, oh, what do they call them over there when you your resume or whatever your her CV? Yeah, her CV I think is got most of the season on there, so. I think that's where I saw that. Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of maybe maybe I'm thinking of that as something else. But well, not to be overly optimistic or give anybody false hope. Maybe they bring a second companion on. We don't know. It could be. I mean, there's not a lot of details from the quote unquote source, so it's easily possible that they bring on an additional companion during the time. And people assume they're dropping. Yeah, Maybe. that could be. Although I think we don't, we don't know. They've been there's been on set reports of of uh, the switch. People, well, people seeing that she's the only one there, and Millie hasn't is nowhere to be seen in the in the, as they're shooting season six fifteen. So that's kind of how this kind of mm-hmm. came about. Is they already started shooting season fifteen, and uh, people were noticing that Millie wasn't anywhere around, and then it was. Somebody, I think the mirror. Somebody got an unauthorized confirmation that that Millie's leaving at the end of. She's not even in the Christmas episode. She's done after the the this first run, and then um, uh, Verada takes over for Christmas. So mm-hmm. now I don't know where they got that information because, I, like I say, the the source I think was still being anonymous, but. It sounded like it was on pretty good authority, so. Time will tell. Maybe it was someone that had seen her CV. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of that I'd saw. I've seen so many different articles on this. 
I can't even, can't even remember. <laughs> can't remember all the details that I've seen, or what what of it is true and what is of it isn't. But hey, I, hey, time hey, will tell. Time hey, will tell. Hey, I I just updated my IMDb page to show <gasps> Doctor Who for next season, so I bet they're going to replace the new chick with me. <laughs> I don't think I'd trust in IMDb because that's how this works, right? Wikipedia is <laughs> accurate though. Well, of course, I trust Wikipedia. I mean, geez. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not just anybody can change that. <laughs> uh, time will tell. We'll see. Only a couple of years, and we'll find out for sure. That's right. <laughs> don't believe it till it's on your TV, folks. Well, don't believe it till the BBC announces it too. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk some conventions. We got a couple coming up. MegaCon in Orlando, Florida, February 1st to the 4th, featuring Alex Kingston there. So if you want to see her, check out MegaCon in Orlando. And then Teesside Comic Con, Teesside University Students Union in Middlesbrough, the UK, is going to feature Colin Baker. So there's a couple of upcoming conventions in the next few weeks. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 30, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time Ram. Putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Travelling the Vortex. You are invited on an adventure across all of time and space, in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Cheshki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Hooniverse. On Shuffle. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit. And every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert, who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans, who either have never seen the show, or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. Let's move on to our review. Just as a primer for everybody, we are doing two stories that feature, or sort of feature, uh, (laughs) Edgar Allan Poe. We're doing a short story, The True and Indisputable Facts in the Matter of the Ram's Skull, which is a great name, which the story was better. Um, and then Nevermore, which is a Eighth Doctor Series 4-3. So we don't have True a score. synopsis for uh, 
the short story, but let's just launch it. No, well, I have I have a somewhat synopsis. How no, let's this? do that. Yeah, Edgar Allan Poe has been invited by two friends to attend the seance at the house of Mister R. The other guests are the Doctor Ian, Barbara, and a, a few more people. <laughs> <laughs> I did, wasn't going to bother reading their yeah, names because no, they're fun. not important. No, well, they, sadly. Barbara, well, one and, of, one Barbara of and Ian aren't even that important in this That's story. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Not even sure why they were there, other than so that Ian could question Steve. why they were there, and Barbara could fail to dunk the candle over. Wow, you and, just and so you would know what nailed exactly there, what I was going to say. <laughs> this is why they're there. <laughs> to scoff and say, I can't move. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much it. Well, Keith, you want to go first? I don't know if I have much to say about this one. It was, <laughs> it was okay. It, it doesn't really give us much. Um, even you know, I, I guess I had higher hopes about a uh, a meeting between Edgar Allan Poe and the Doctor, and this kind of just falls into a. I just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's there. It is what it is. It, it it's got a nice format to it. It I like the fact that it's written as if it's Poe's last, you know, description of what happened. But it also kind of ends on a downer, you know. Well, he yeah. writes his diary page and then he goes and dies. Yeah. So it's <laughs> not only so, is the story kind of mad without a good explanation of what's going on, it ends on a down note. It, I'll tell you, I will say this. It's a good story. It's not a good Doctor Who story. Yeah, I think that's probably the problem more than anything That's a else. very good way of saying it. Had the Doctor and Ian and Barbara not been there, and this was just a story, a short story that I picked up, it's really got a neat atmosphere. It's got a really tense um, horror aspect to it. I love the fact that it's uh, Poe. I love the fact that it's... I didn't get the impression... I got the impression that the, his death was much later after this. They just happened to find this after because I got the impression that the events that happen in this Tupo are sort of what paints his or what influences some of his writing. Uh, you know, the th- things like the Pit and the Pendulum and the Raven and, and the Black Cat, things like that. I was under the impression that this kind of like is what influenced some of those different stories that he did write um, in fiction. And that before he was writing things were a little more uh, milk toast. And then after this um, incident, you know, maybe, maybe even some of his poetry that was more, you know, along the lines of romance and things like that, that he wrote in his early days was prior to this. And then this is what really kind of brought the macabre out in his stories. That was the way I took it. I may, maybe I may be wrong, but um, I like that interpretation, but I don't. I did not get that interpretation from so, it because I think that the 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 coda on this was written by somebody else that explained that they had found this document and then they were saying that you know Poe had died. I thought that was kind of the way they had been. But anyway, I, but from that perspective, it's a really kind of neat story. I I, I liked it for what it was. Unfortunately, by putting the doctor in there and not even, I mean, the, the really the doctor doesn't do much. I wanted the doctor to be able to save this girl, although I got the impression from the story she was already well gone and possessed. She just had 
this, you know, other half of this demon in her. That's why she was the one that was invited. It wasn't like it was some innocent little girl. There was, this girl was already possessed because she came in and reacted to that skull the way she did. But I kind of wanted the doctor, if the doctor is going to be there, I want the doctor to save more than just, you know, the, the party there that isn't doing anything, but sitting there watching this in horror. I wanted him to either save the doctor or I wanted Ian to maybe even chastise him more for putting them in this situation. I wanted more of a conflict maybe between Ian and the doctor as to why the doctor felt necessary to even be here. And the doctor, I think in his own way justifies it by it was to prevent an evil from coming through. And and that's what he yeah. ended up doing ultimately, but it just doesn't, it seems really weak in the sense of how the doctor interferes. It was cool that he was able to get the cognac on there, but then Barbara could have had a heroic moment as well, but couldn't move. And so they give it to Poe, which, you know, and is our central character to this story, but, or at least our narrator, narrator, but just putting them in it just didn't, didn't work. And so just having them there takes me out of the story a little bit because I'm frustrated because they're not playing the parts that I think they should play in a doctor who story. And, so again, I think had this story not had them, it's a good story, but with with them in it, it's not a good Doctor Who story. Yeah, unfortunately, it does look like because they they put the date at the top of October second, eighteen forty nine, and he passes away October seventh, eighteen forty nine. That's true. So it was. Just, I wish it, I I would have liked the story a lot more had it not been couched around his death. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a great reason, an explanation of why Poe was the way Poe was. I think that would have been a brilliant way to tell the story. I almost thought for a minute, had this gone the way that, that Glenn was interpreting it, that this is the event that's responsible for kickstarting, um, you know, some of these events, that maybe we were going to get a uh, Vincent and the Doctor yeah. kind of scenario, that, that Poe you know, can actually see these things happening and pose the one that knows what's up and that he's the reason that the doctor's there, that they've come to do something to, to, you know, assist Poe or, you know, prevent Poe from being killed because he has to tell these stories. But it ultimately all kind of came to just be reasons. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And he's already written everything and now he's going to die. Which, okay, explains the mysterious stranger in the cognac, but that's about it. <laughs> Who wrote this one? This was Mark Michalowski. I'm not sure I've, I'm not sure if we've read anything that he's written before, have we? Name I don't think so. Name, name does not ring good. a bell. He's written other stuff, though. Well, he's done some main range stuff for Big Finish. Well, we've listened to Casualties of War, right? Okay, it was yeah. Was this in 45? Yeah. Because that's one of the stories in 45. Right, so. right. Well, he seems to be a, a yeah a big finish. Well, he's done some uh, past Doctor Adventures as well, so he's done some prose as well. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, was written, it was written really well. And it I is thought, written well. well. It captured Poe's voice, I thought. Yeah, well it's written very much in Poe's style. Not, not It doesn't wordsmith it as much, but I wouldn't expect Poe to do that when he's writing about an actual account either. So, Right, yeah, a journal account of what right. happened. 
Well, let's move on to our next one, which is uh, we're finally, as Sean is probably <laughs> super excited, we're finally getting uh, back into our Eighth Doctor adventures. Um, again, this is season four and story number three. So, Keith, you got a uh, synopsis? Yes. A bizarre manifestation in the control room forces the TARDIS onto the Plutonian shores of the irradiated world Nevermore, whose sole inhabitant is the war criminal Morella Windigo, a prisoner of this devastated planet. But the Doctor and his new companion aren't Morella's only visitors. Senior Prosecutor Oglosi fears the arrival of an assassin after the blood of his prize, Prisoner. An assassin with claws. Bum, bum, bum. Go ahead and go first, Sean. I liked it. <laughs> uh, no, I the, the first time I listened to this, I, I didn't I didn't get the connection until they spelled it out for me. Nevermore, and then there's Raven Guards, and I was like, "Oh, you're literally doing a Poe thing." Okay, cool. Um, but I've listened to it several times since then, and I really love just about everything about this story um I, I i love the concept that there's this genocidal mad woman that uh committed just this just a genocide you know killed everybody on this planet with this biological weapon and that her oh, what's great is she isn't there What's also great is she's not really a mad woman. She had very, I don't want to say justified, but she had rational reasons to do what she did. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just that she was mad. She was power hungry and she wanted to turn the tide of the war in a certain direction. And it just didn't work out in her situation, well, in her favor. The story well, that's what the, makes her so interesting. That's just it, though. The story yeah. does a good job of starting you out, making you think that she's this mad yeah. woman. And then they do kind of explain that there is a reason or a rationale for her actions. And ironically, her prisoner is the madman. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Because they don't justify his or explain why his fascination with Poe is. <laughs> and I kind of wish we had something to tie it back other than, Oh, we thought this was a cool gimmick for a story. So this guy's obsessed with Poe. <laughs> But that being said, the Poe aspects of it, I thought, were really cool and very cleverly thought out. Yeah, I, I like the fact that she's not the stereotypical mustache-twirling, nothing-in-the-world-can-stop-me-now villain. And that her her motives, at least in her mind, were rational and made sense. Mm -hmm. And th those are the ones you got to watch out for. Because you can almost side with them. And then you have to kind of stop and think, no, 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 no. You killed a whole planet full of people. <laughs> You're still a monster here. <laughs> and I love the fact that the doctor goes through that, that he's like, I'm not helping her. We've got to get out of here. She's a gloony Ben. She's a, you know, she's a monster. She's a this. And then by the end of the story, take the helicopter and go. Just, just, just go. Um, so I, I, I thought that was very cool. Um I, I like to, I love the trappings. I love the fact that she's in this house that's part of this planet. That it's it's very well appointed. It's not doesn't feel like a prison, and yet it's it house, is house that, of that usher. Means, yeah. Yep. Um, and it, it made me want to read more Poe uh, as I got into it, and as you know, because I, I'm I'm obviously I think everybody's probably familiar with 
you know, quote the Raven, mm -hmm. but um, I'm only kind of glossy peripherally aware of the other stories that are referenced here. Um, I think the only one that I've actually read is uh, Telltale Heart. So mm -hmm. this was a big, oh, yeah, I need to get into this. This is really kind of cool sounding and whatnot. Um, I think Tamsin is, and I was concerned about you guys, so you'll have to let me know how, how you fared on this, because being thrown back into it after such a long hiatus, even I was a little disjointed as to, okay, where yeah. are we in the timeline? Oh, yeah, he was auditioning. <laughs> For companions yeah. and Lucy had left and Tamsin had joined. Okay. And this is their first, you know, soiree together. And I don't know that she acquits herself very well. Well, uh, considering considering this is her first adventure, and you know, at some point the doc at the end the doctor just says, Go to the TARDIS, I don't have time to deal with you. <laughs> I think she does pretty decent. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is a fairly big, fairly heavy, uh fairly forced upon them story. Um, that to be your first adventure in the TARDIS, that's one heck of a deep end. Yeah. And but I, how many how many companions get sent to their room? <laughs> I mean, really, right, right. Yeah, but that just also shows how how serious the situation was more than her capabilities because she's the one that argues for uh, what's her face's. On, on what's her face's behalf because she saved yeah. her life. I mean, she, I think she shows a lot of great potential as a companion and sees things through how they truly are as opposed to what it appears on the surface. Yeah. I also think that the story doesn't give her much room to be introduced as well either. And so I think I didn't put a lot of, um, I didn't put a lot of negativity on the, companion because i just felt like the story didn't give her enough showcasing in order for us to um learn more about her or get to know her better and so not that not that the story was bad i'm not saying the story's bad but it just feels like maybe had we had something a little more tansman heavy right after her joining the tardis in the last one i sort of think that maybe i would have felt better getting to know the character but this unfortunately this situation in this story doesn't allow for that so i think it's kind of excusable that you know we we don't get to know a lot about her yet so i'm hoping That's that true. changes yeah it kind of takes a page out of the classic series more so than the new series and we tend to think of this run of the eighth doctor as more new series leaning and so I think that's probably why we would want more of Tamsin and more of her character in it, because we're used to the first full story with a companion being much more focused on the companion than what this one is. Yeah. That's true. I think my favorite element of this uh, is the reveal that the this monster um, is, you know, his his guilt uh, that has manifested through these uh, these creatures. You talking and about the prosecutor? The prosecutor. Yeah, okay. Um, and I, I, admittedly, it's stolen from a Forbidden Planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Monsters of the Id. 
uh, which in itself is based on The Tempest mm -hmm. from, from Shakespeare. So we're right. kind of transposing another writer's uh, work into this. But I love Forbidden Planet so much that if you're going to steal... <laughs> And you steal from that? Steal from the best. I'm right there with you going, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, cool. Make it all, man. <laughs> make, make them invisible. Cool. Because <laughs> I, I love Forbidden Planet. And, and so this one had a very Forbidden Planet vibe to it with the, the <laughs> fact that that's where the uh, the monsters are ultimately coming from, is from his, uh, his subconscious psyche. It's funny. I or rather through her. I hadn't, but... even, I hadn't even made that connection, but you're right. And I love Forbidden Planet, too. <laughs> Still didn't make God, that connection. God, I love that movie. It's funny. I didn't until this listen through. Mm. I hadn't made that connection before. Um, but then as I got further into the story and got into the second part and things started to ramp up and my brain kind of caught up and I was like, oh, yeah, that's where this is going. I'd forgotten that. And then it suddenly popped in there. I was like, wait a minute, you've heard this before. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's cool. <laughs> that, makes, that makes me like it even more. The um, I'm kind of looking ahead here, but uh, they do have the flashbacks of the Eighth Doctor talking about his encounter with Poe as the Eighth Doctor. And I was looking down here in the continuity, and the dates don't quite work, but it says, according to a document Poe wrote, which he had first met the first doctor two days prior to his encounter with the eighth, which makes sense because his encounter with the eighth is right before his death. And so right. the first doctor was there just a day or days before. <laughs> and then in his eighth incarnation, he revisits Poe again. <clears throat> Although, I unfortunately, take him off to the unfortunately his, yeah, unfortunately his mental state is already uh, in uh, uh, dire need at that point. So, well, what's clever is that short story then explains why his mental state is the way, the way it's it in is. Yeah, absolutely. because of what he saw in that story. Right. So that's kind of cool. I hadn't really thought of that because I read them out of order. If I think if I had read the first one, oh. <laughs> if I think if I had read the the first story, the short story first, I might have made that connection better too. Yeah. It almost makes you wonder if maybe the first Doctor wasn't completely successful in preventing something from coming through mm. and that it latched on to Poe and caused him to go crazy. Perhaps we need another doctor to visit him in the sanitarium. Mm -hmm. Or, or maybe, longer. yeah, I was say, or maybe the doctor had some guilt as to the situation he'd put Poe in and knowing <laughs> and that he, he and knowing mad, he went yeah. mad at the end, maybe he felt like he needed to be there as some sort of uh, support. I don't know. What did you guys think of the fact that the, his final notes smeared and wasn't anything? Mm, yeah, that was that was clever. Yeah, very much so. Uh, again, I was kind of thinking the first time I listened to this, I don't remember if I listened to this before we got Vincent the Doctor or if I revisited it afterwards. One of the two. But it kind of feels like that's maybe where they're going, is that Vincent saw all these things with, you know, space chicken, uh, and that maybe Poe was tormented by demons that were extra dimensional or something that mm -hmm. he was trying to alert the authorities to, to actually being there. But then it winds up being just ravings. So we don't know what right. 
may or may not have been. And I, I love the fact, while there's a part of me that is screaming and pounding fists going, no, I wanted to know what the deal was. There's another part of me that loves that it's open for interpretation and that you just kind of get to decide which way you want to play it. Although I do have a hard time believing the prosecutor would just be okay with it being ravings and smeared and not getting to know what it is. <laughs> in his final that... in his final moments of life, he was like, "Oh, that's hilarious!" Ah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think he really thought it was hilarious. I think that just kind of encapsulated how far off the reservation yes. he had yes, gone. Yes, that's the way I took it. Yeah, this yeah. cackling was all he had left. Mm -hmm. You know, he sort of went the way of Poe. Yeah, he definitely did. Well, and you have to wonder, I, I think Poe is one of those writers that it's very easy to admire the work that he did. But you have to really wonder about the people who, like the prosecutor, would devote themselves to the work. Because so much of it is first person, mm -hmm. and so much of it is is written from a standpoint where you're, he, he's attempting to put you, the reader, in these positions of you know uh, the, the 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 pendulum swinging towards you, and the uh, so much of his writing is done in that style that if you were really fanatical about his work you'd kind of go you're kind of a crazy person because why would you want to subject yourself to that over and over and over again mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah yeah so there, there's there's a definite uh tell <laughs> <laughs> but now i just really like this one and i i love paul mcgann's uh portrayal and uh how he reacts to things and he, he's got so many wonderful little glib moments followed by so many somber oh holy crap moments mm -hmm. i i i sort of feel like too it's a it's another fresh start for the doctor i think we went through mm -hmm. this we went through this kind of period where he had the what was it so much time that he was away and he'd almost had another amnesia moment because of what had happened in the events of, um, Oh, I can't even remember the story that was in season three, but, um, Morbus. yeah, Morbus. So yeah. we had, you know, we had kind of gotten into this little uh, kind of aloof and disconnected doctor who I think sort of becomes grounded again there towards the end when Lucy's leaving, but, or Lu I think she was sick, wasn't she? And so, then I, I, I kind of felt like I was not enjoying the eighth doctor at that point, but this really kind of feels like a return to form. And it's not that I think that the doctor can't, you know, grow as a character and, and, and be different and evolve, but it's really kind of refreshing to have that familiarity back and have the doctor, the eighth doctor kind of as we know him and very much in character with the way that um, he had been in the past. And so I, I thought it was a nice return to form, at least for me, especially revisiting and coming back to this um, because it might've been, I might've not enjoyed it as much had he not been kind of back on, on form. Yeah. I, I I'd forgotten about the Orbis stuff. So <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I would agree. It was nice to have him back in full form. I also like the fact that the ravens weren't 
actually, I, at, when they first popped, showed up, I thought they were going to be anthropomorphized birds. Mm, yeah. And I'm glad they wound up being robots. robots I thought yeah. was a, that was a clever touch. Yeah. Especially once you later discover that, well, it's not like they're native or anything. It's They were built by this madman who <laughs> loves Poe so much. You thought you were going to have a problem with anthropomorphized birds. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, oh, great. Now I'm going to hear about it from Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I, you, you are, we are on the same page here where we're fully convinced that they are raven-shaped robots, right? Oh, yeah, for the, sure. Okay. The, cover, <laughs> yeah. the cover of the uh, CD or the whatever actually shows the head of one above the doctor. It's definitely a raven-shaped robot. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Even just from the audios alone, the, the descriptions of them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and they even refer to them robots, and then initially refer to them as just Raven. So right. I think he even calls them Raven robots at some point. So Nope, good stuff. I'm kind of glad to be doing the uh, Eighth Doctor stuff again, and we've got some more fun Eighth Doctor stuff coming as well. And I like the teases they gave us of, you know, the strange little man, uh, time traveler that they reference. I'm looking forward to finding out kind of mm. what happens with that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's setting something up. Right. Mm-hmm. Forgot about that till you brought it back up. Stay tuned. All right. Well, speaking of which, what do we got coming up on the schedule, Sean? Well, coming up next on the schedule, we're going to take a look at uh, what never was or what could have been. Uh, starting with Doctor Who Journey into Time, a lost radio program pilot written by none other than Malcolm Hulk uh, that was performed once and then uh, <laughs> only the script remains and then was uh, uh, re-performed as a part of a fan recreation. So we're going to take a look at this, uh, I hesitate to say lost classic it might be once you hear it. Maybe you'll decide. It might be. Yeah, <laughs> it I, might be. I think, and I, I hadn't done a lot of research on this because I wanted to kind of wait until I'd listen to it, but I believe this was a Cushing uh, audio. I think Cushing had actually recorded this uh, radio play as well, so as as that doctor, as the Cushing doctor. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Possibly the third movie? Uh, know, no, because the third movie would have, would have been the, the Mechanoid, Daleks versus the Mechanoids. Yeah. Which would have been was what the chase was, or parts of the chase. You ever think to yourself that somewhere in the multiverse is a universe where those movies became huge, and that that's the Doctor that everybody remembers now? Not really. Like the show got canceled, and that was it. But the movies live on, and Peter Cushing is, you know, the biggest thing ever. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> Nope, never once. <laughs> He's great, but don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> just 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 a few dimensions over. If and got, then we will. If he'd gotten sorry, really, go if he'd gotten really popular, we might not have gotten him in Star Wars. So. That's true. <laughs> and then we'd be doing a, a, a special talking about who would we have cast as Tark, and right? Would have been a whole separate podcast. <laughs> 
We will follow that up with uh, a look at the just-released animated Underwater Menace. Obviously, we've reviewed the story before, but we'll be taking a look at the animation and the presentation of that. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, along with uh, something else I'm excited to get back into, Big Finish Mainline, The Crimes of Thomas Brewster, and The Return of Evelyn to My Ears which excites me greatly. We're bringing back all the old favorites. <laughs> and uh, something borrowed, something blue, something old, something new. <laughs> we will do a companion archive on Kariz. Who is who, also uh, returning to the fold. Is returning, but uh, apparently has some new material with uh, Santarns versus Rutans. And we'll be looking at the first installment, the battle for the Giant's Causeway. And then uh, two round trips. I'm not familiar. Oh, they're short trips. Short, short trips, yeah. Those were two uh, short trips that he did after right. midnight and before midnight. Right. All of that and more yet to come. And then uh, I do want to mention uh, a few weeks ago we did a uh, episode on the uh, Cubicle Seven RPG games. We did an unboxing. You got an audio version of our unboxing of Doctors and Daleks, and now Sean has. Uh, done an excellent job putting together our video so you can actually now see our vid video on travelingthevortex.com or you can also go to our youtube page and find it there uh, so you can watch us open it and you can actually get a little better look at what we're talking about and uh, thanks again to cubicle 7 for letting us do that you can find us at our website travelingthevortex.com and if you get any value out of this podcast consider putting some value back into it you can do that by clicking on the patreon link support us there and uh also be sure to give us five stars uh wherever you subscribe to this podcast it certainly helps get us up there in the ratings and make sure you join in the conversation on our listeners forum on facebook you can also find us on instagram x formerly known as twitter and tiktok oh i think i've uh resurrected our tumblr page as well by the way so heads up Ooh, stuff nice. coming there too uh anything else we need to discuss before we close this program if not, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.